Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And as always, Michael, call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with you can follow this podcast on social media twitter or instagram at podcast horseman please do send us all your favorite bits from the show give us a follow give us a like just watch the journey of the podcast continue as we grow we've been enjoying the community so far and we'd like that to carry on in a similar vein or if you really fancy it you can follow one of your hosts on twitter you can follow me at it's adam nicholas or you can follow michael hamflet at michael hamflet and we'd love you to follow along with the podcast on spotify subscribe on apple podcasts uh you can listen along on Acast, podbean stitcher pretty much anywhere you get your podcast you can even listen on our twitter feed where the podcast will be embedded every single friday a new episode goes up on there at podcast horseman so if you want to subscribe on apple podcast you can also leave us a five star review as every podcast you've ever listened to has told you it really helps the algorithms it really helps people find us in searches basically just allows everybody to talk themselves horse about the talking horse which is what we love to do for you every week and if you do leave us a five-star review with a few little words they can be nice they can be very very nasty we will still read them out and you indeed will be inducted into the hollywood talk of fame we'll have another induction coming later this episode wonderful you could even call them all the naysayers michael couldn't you (laughs) anyway let's get on with this episode shall we and where we always begin is the netflix synopsis for this episode season two episode three of bojack horseman still broken a funeral turns into a treasure hunt for the horse and around cast and a potential schmooze fest for princess carolyn and mr peanut butter and always nice to start an episode with a funeral michael (laughs) Well, this is it. It's a cold open, and knowing what we already know about the episode, it should be ice cold, but instead it is the warm cuddle of the horse in around interstitial music. We start rather with Bojack in the present day, with him in the past. It's an episode of the show ending with the words, <laughs> with literally ending with the words horse in around in the script, because Herb Kazaz was a hack from day one. The cast go backstage in celebratory mood, and it turns out that that was actually the pilot. Um, they're all very enthusiastic. They think it's gone pretty well. Um, and Herb just quite nicely says to the whole cast, it's a shows a success i want you to take care of each other no matter what we're going to stick together dong that bell tolls that often takes us from scene to far more depressing scene and the far more depressing scene in this case is herb because funeral <laughs> uh, 
it's taking place on the literal edge of a cliff as the as Herb's Care Bear delivers a completely incomprehensible eulogy to indeed the cast of Horsing Around and select other members of the, uh, shall we say, the celebrities that Herb once knew from Hollywood, and that takes us to the credits. Such a jarring moment to come from that lovely, like you say, the warmness of Horsing Around to Dong. Of course, we should have expected no less. Michael, this is Bojack Horseman. <laughs> what, what else was it going to do for us here? And this sets the scene quite nicely for the reunion of the gang, of course. Well, it's pretty cool because, as you say, the scene is nicely set for this funeral. Sadly, by the episode last season, The Telescope, where we learn of Herb's condition and Bojack's fractured relationship with him. But they subvert that almost immediately. The episode starts for real, picking right back up at the funeral. Um, the care bear is whisked off by Henry Winkler, who is uh, another MC of the funeral, and he unveils an all-that-kazaz bench. Um, but through Henry Winkler, one of his close friends, we learn that his cancer was actually in remission. He went out for a drive, and he had a crash, but he survived that until he crashed into a peanut truck, and it was the peanut allergy that killed him. So this is... Gag and drag, as we often talk about, coming together here because the drag that we were expecting was taken away and replaced by the gag of Herb dying from a very severe peanut allergy. Made worse by Henry Winkler electing to read out his final tweets, which include such classic as, I'm going to live forever, hashtag cancer free. He's, uh. effect he's effectively live tweeting his own car crash, which also kind of paints a picture of irresponsibility that... He was about to cause it by being on his phone, tweeting relentlessly about everything that was happening to him. This works wonderfully as a comedic device, but also sucks the sympathy out of Herb's death a yeah. little bit, which kind of allows you, the viewer, to enjoy how ridiculous his demise ultimately was. It sounds like Herb Kazaz wrote the scene for his own death <laughs> in the script for this episode, doesn't it? That's how stupid it is, because he survives, literally survives cancer. We can only assume he's on a celebratory car journey. And... <laughs> He's that made up with himself that he's texting on his phone. The layers of this, again, we see them so many times in this show, like have their digs in like social media and phones and people's, the way society are with them. Uh, and this is probably a great exclamation point for that, although ends with the punchline that he probably could never have written himself, where he survives cancer, survives a car crash, and then dies because he crashed into a truck full of peanuts that he's deathly allergic to. <laughs> it's uh, it's all too much for Bojack at this point. He, uh, he slinks off for a, a cigarette, and he finds uh, Charlotte, who has done the same. Charlotte, of course, as we know, was friends with both Bojack and Herb when they were just jobbing comedians in a bar that she worked in. She disappeared off to Maine, and Bojack agreed to stay behind with Herb because, of course, they were going to make it big in Hollywood. Um and it's nice for them to reconnect. He tries to mask the awful last meeting he had with Herb as if to protect his reputation in front of Charlotte, the, the, the woman he kind of considers his long-lost love, really. Um, <laughs> but she recalls it word for word because she's read his book, which is quite interesting because this is somebody far different from the dates that he was on with in last week's episode. This is somebody that means an awful lot to him, but somebody knows all those exact same stories that all those dates and all those restaurants do. That kind of reduces her as somebody that immediately could pick up so many more personality traits that he would have hoped that he could have hid from her. Um, obviously, that was the benefit of his relationship with Wanda. That 30-year coma does not apply to these other people that existed in Bojack's history. They briefly reconnect, um, but it's worth pointing out that she's not in Maine, which really rattles Bojack. I think he'd mm. we got the impression that he'd like built a life for her that was kind of just existing on her own, almost imply that she was waiting for him because that's the only way that his fragile male ego could imagine that she would have lived her life. She's in New Mexico and she just simply tells him to look her up one day if he's ever there himself. Gives, a, gives him a business card and says farewell. This is such a brief 
like interaction between the two because you kind of I remember watching this the first time and immediately thinking oh this is going to be a bit of a Bojack and a Charlotte episode mm. and it's really not is it it's like they meet up for a tiny moment and then they go their separate ways and in that tiny moment Charlotte completely and utterly destroys that amazing sequence we saw in season one yeah. in where Bojack's going through the trip and he's like hallucinating and having he's on the drug bender with uh, Todd and Sarah Lynn. And we get that moment, don't we, where he's, in, he's having that, he's living the ideal life if he'd made some other choices with Charlotte in Maine in this lovely place that he's dreamed up. It was already fictional, mm. but it actually can't even exist for real because she's not even there. Yeah, it's a fantasy. It was a fantasy in every sense of the word because the life that he imagined wasn't even her life after one month. And the thing is as well, I think that's such a truism. Like the, the fact that you lose touch with people in real life, uh, they kind of go on pause for you as we all do with each other. And when you press play, that doesn't mean that they've just been stood still. And I think there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of vanity in all of us, I think here, that this scene taps into where because we're all, for the want of a better cliche, we're all the stars in our own film. We kind of like to think that everybody else pivots around what we're doing and they will just be in stasis until we reappear back in life. Bojack has certainly thought that of somebody that he considered to be the love of his life, but, oh, like, turns out he just doesn't know her at all. Not this version of her anyway. I'll tell you what I also liked about this is that um, Charlotte gave us that really uh, powerful speech in the first season, didn't she, about, like, Hollywood and the tar pits of Hollywood. Mm. Um and she talked as if she was she was above it, wasn't she? She was yes. big ass. She, she had dreams. She had it all figured out. She was like, she's a hipster. She's cool. I'm going to go and get out of Maine away from all these phonies. But actually, yeah. she doesn't. Like, she goes to Maine for one month, and that doesn't go right, so she disappears again. And I think there's some sort of tapping into. We've all met these people who are saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm off. I'm going off to travel, or I'm going off to do this thing. And they disappear and you come up with this idea what well, they're doing. I bet they're having this amazing time. But some of them are just full of aren't they? Like they just ah. they just like they like the idea they're going to do it and then they get bored of that idea and then reality kicks in and they have to go to life back to life. And I kind of feel like maybe we don't really find out, but maybe that's what happened with Charlotte. Well, certainly she can't mask what her intentions were with men because she asked Bojack to give it up and come with her. She believed enough in that dream to say, I want you along with me for the ride. And that's the fantasy that he's clung on to because he just assumed that she'd done it. It is, again, like an absolutely fantastic comment on the human condition by a talking horse and a talking deer. <laughs> like, they've smashed it again. They've used two animals to tap into these human emotions. He goes, Bojack, again, as you say, this does sort of tee up the idea of a Bojack and Charlotte episode, but it's very much not. This is, this is Charlotte's last appearance in the episode. She was there at the funeral. Again, feels very real. That as sad as it is, sometimes you want to be there to pay your respects, but you don't necessarily want to be there to deal with the aftermath, which is again something that feels very lived in as a as something that like human beings have to go through when people die. It brings people together, but what about when people don't want to be together and confront the things that they maybe thought they'd left behind? It's that expectation versus reality thing, isn't it? Where this is something that Bojack is a tiny throwaway line from here about going to Maine. He's made it into his whole life image in the back of his head to her. It kind of sounds like she's almost forgot that she even told him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. They might, they might as well have been talking about a favourite band that they share that Bojack has clung on to and she's never listened to them again. That's what it yeah. is. And he is, his world is shattered by that realisation as well. He's he's maybe had that same band in those in those earphones all of his and always thought about that girl. And for her to just play it off so insignificantly, I think, is especially at the start of a funeral, he's not even at the worst part of his day. 
and this feels already worse for him than Herb's death. And she like she actually stumps. I think she ends up being the one who stumps out a cigarette with her foot at the time when she's telling him, and that's just something about that. Like, mm-hmm. here's this lovely cigarette for you, but actually on the floor, stomp it out. None of it's real. Art is a lie, Michael. Nothing is real. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, Bojack's typically brilliant with those sort of like the visual messaging that you see often when the dialogue is being delivered, mm. which is for the benefit of dweebs like us that want to go back and review it on a podcast because we get to talk about them. Otherwise, <laughs> need to watch it over and over again to see. Um, Bojack sort of slumps back off to the wake. Um, he's talking to Todd, who's there to stockpile food, and Princess Carolyn, who's there to rub elbows with the mourners. Uh, not really uh, the best of intentions. It's a bit of season one Princess Carolyn there. Um, she tells Tells him that there's horsing around money to be made effectively because of Herb's death, which sort of calls back to season one where the discussion of DVD box sets and things like that. Now that Herb's gone, there is indeed money to be made. The example she uses, of course, is uh, Elton. I'm Dale Dandin, John. She notes that he absolutely <laughs> raked it in when uh, Princess Diana died, as she put it, more like a candle in the windfall, uh, which is a, a great dig at uh, uh, old Elton's expense there. Um, Bojack can't really take any of this. He doesn't like Ironic, considering the exchange he just had, uh, he doesn't like how fake this all feels. He genuinely believes that there was something there with Herb, and he is there to pay his respects, and he does want to. He wants to fix what he broke in the literal and obviously figurative sense. So he goes into Herb's room and he finds that broken telescope from their last horrendous fight, um, and through the the lens of the cracked telescope, he spies Joel, Olivia from Horsing Around. He was, uh, was speaking in a forced English accent, which, as is always the case with these daft things that nobody else notices, Bojack clocks and comments on immediately. Uh, before they really have time to reconnect, uh, Bradley Hitler-Smith and Sarah Lynn, also cast members of Horsing Around, walk in uh, because Bradley's had to drag her in because she was touching a woman's face saying she die next. Sarah Lynn is high and doesn't even really realise they're at a funeral. A great reminisce. Uh, Bradley has a hardware store in Olympia after lying and say it was in Seattle. They're 60 miles apart and he can't even cling on to his lie. Um, he wants to be satisfied with his life, but he can't in Bojack's presence. Um, Joelle is doing bit part work in the West End, which allows Sarah Lynn to get in a, a pretty awful dig saying, oh, how are the kids? I just assumed you had a bunch of kids because, you know, your body. And uh, Joelle responds with, I assumed you still weren't a massive so, <laughs> which, which is interesting because obviously the dropping of the sea bomb as Joelle points out is sometimes reduced in England compared to in America where she's now found her, her modicum of fame and fortune but it's that that is more shocking to these Hollywood film stars the mention of the sea bomb versus Sarah Lynn's caustic and like unnecessary and unsolicited dig about Joelle's size one has shocked the group more than the other. And that is the, the first in this episode of several comments on, as always, Hollywood culture, the fake plastic side of this world that they've all just embraced and accepted as Bojack tries to bring this fake television family back together. They've used this C-bomb quite well in this, haven't they? Um, but there's something really specific about the fact that the two moments that we are having here is Sarah Lynn talking about, like, women's figure and body, which is obviously something people, particularly in the world of Hollywood, love to comment about mm-hmm. uh, and make it their business to comment and pass comment. But then the fact that she uses, I'm going to say it because you've got to say it, I'm going to beat them all out anyway. She says the word and like it's used in a negative way. So mm. these are two things relating to women that are used in negative ways. And again, like the writing here is very deliberate, isn't it? Like 
it's no coincidence that those two things are tied together to really highlight like Hollywood sucks, man. It is, yeah, you're right. It's again, it's another thing where like through no real fault of their own, they've been paired off against one another. There's obviously lingering jealousy. We see a bit more of that later in this episode because they're just both females. And as you say, the negative connotations being attached to their genders through the rows that they're having is pretty disgraceful. And it doesn't really end there between the cast. Bojack tries to call for a bit of civility, but Bradley Hitler-Smith shoots that one out the sky because he references Bojack sleeping with his mother, which worse still, Bojack can't even remember. So he's had the, the, a molehill of a high ground and he's just been pushed clean off it by a man that now owns a hardware store 60 miles south of Seattle. It's uh, it's a really awful and ugly scene, but it is obviously there to remind us that they have not been able to do the one thing that Herb asked them to in that really warm and cosy cold open, which was just stay together. They can't. Uh, Bojack briefly compares them to a dysfunctional family, which Bradley again rejects, only for Sarah Lynn to note uh, that the next time they see each other will be when another cast member dies, uh, at which point all of them just turn and look at Bojack. <laughs> yes, very specific glances at Bojack followed by a long pause. <laughs> <laughs> One guy that, has, that has, has tried errantly, because obviously Bradley Hitsmith has got a lot of baggage with Bojack, but the one guy that has assumed, oh, well, hang on, I need to be the bigger person here, is then not only told you are not the bigger person, but you're probably going to be the first one to die out of all of us. We consider you that little that we think that you're next, Bojack. Uh, Sarah Lynn is uh, midway through her suck a dick, dumb shit exit when she's interrupted by Herb's executor. He's got a floppy disk for Sarah Lynn on instructions <laughs> to find Herb's gold. Bojack says, what are we supposed to do with a floppy disk? And that takes us to a flashback uh, where Bradley, uh, young Bradley Hitler-Smith is uh, going to Herb to ask for advice on Bojack and his mother having sex, not on acting, not on life in Hollywood, just on this very awful problem that this child should not be forced to face when he is when he is encountering all these sort of various issues of Hollywood. They're interrupted by, let's be honest, what sounds like a horse having sex in the office above uh, <laughs> above Herb. But Herb distracts him with solitaire on a floppy disk. He notes that it was just installed over 12 disks. Uh, and that little memory has been able to obviously not only take Bradley out of the moment in that awful scene with Herb, but out of the moment here, back in the present day, when it snaps back to reality and Bradley suggests that they try Herb's old office as a result. Um, Bojack then notes quite cutely that nobody ever moved into that office because he worked underneath a tap dancer. So that was a nice bum steer from the flashback. Uh, Bojack thinks this is a treasure hunt, uh, treasure hunt reunion special, which they all hate the idea of, but he convinces them to do it just to honour Herb's memory. By the way, I don't think I didn't notice you full naming him. You can't just keep full naming Bradley Hitler-Smith to me every five minutes. But, uh, you know yeah. what? It's because I know Herb would hate it. We know this, don't we? He, so, would, he <laughs> would hate it. That's true. Um, the dynamic's fascinating here that Herb is supposed to be this father figure, essentially, to this weird dysfunctional family. Bojack is the father figure to this weird dysfunctional family within the show. But ultimately, none of it works, does it? None of it. Like, and we, this is just another reminder that these guys, no matter how many years they spent on a sitcom together, nine years, I think it is, all together, nothing is how it should be. And they, they're all very, very different people. I think the um, 
obviously it's really early done because it's a you know it's just a way to do a bit of exposition but i think the geographical distance is important as well yeah the fact that like so olympia which as i googled is 60 miles away from seattle so the most prominent town or the most prominent city um that the that bradley could think to name wasn't even where he lives similarly joel's been like possibly forced to do like low level West End work because maybe Hollywood just didn't work out for them. That's certainly implied in a flashback later on the episode. And Sarah Lynn and Bojack, the ones that have stuck around and stuck at it, have just found their lives crumbling to dust in the process. Dust that Sarah Lynn would snort if she could. Um, yeah. It just it doesn't feel like any of them, by trying in the various ways to escape horsing around, have really managed that in any way that's brought them any more joy. Um, it's obviously it's a funeral, so it's bleak, and I think the scene just captures it really well. It takes the the bleakness of the air of being at something like that, and actually just isolates that to the four specific characters. And puts you the fact that they're all trapped in that room together in Herb's old bedroom. Ultimately, that was the room he stayed in when he was ill, and they're all just surrounded by what looks like the remains of a man who was clinging onto his life. Mm. Well, and and that continues obviously because this treasure hunt that they go on, if you indeed want to call it that, uh, takes them to Herb's old office. He's got tons of old relics, including an answer phone from his mechanic, uh, implying that Herb might have had his brakes cut. But more on that later on. Um, it's a tape answer phone, which is why they play it. Uh, they can't crack a password on Herb's old computer. It's a lovely, beautifully animated nineties beige uh, cigarette and tea stained old desktop computer. Um, but Joelle sees a fork that kicks off her flashback uh, to when she's on the phone to a fired Herb. This was after Herb, of course, had been booted off his own show following the uh, the homosexuality scandal and various other issues that were enveloping him at the time in the mid-90s. Um, and she's upset and she's concerned because she's not getting storylines as compared to Sarah Lynn, who at this point is becoming a teenager. Her star has only risen from child star to teen star. She feels like she's on a fast track to becoming the pop star that she would ultimately become and a broken life that goes with that. This leads to an utterly heartbreaking scene between the characters. Um, Sarah Lynn, as always, um, is, a, I don't want to use the phrase goldmine, but she is a character that they can just delve into the deepest, darkest recesses of dialogue with this character because we just know that things have never really been right for her. She actually comes to Joelle looking for support while Joelle is on the phone to her bitching about it. Uh, and Joelle doesn't want to be pestered by the age gap is obviously clearly an issue between the two of them. Uh, I think Sarah Lynn just wants to ask her to go to the mall. Joelle wants nothing to do with that and says, don't you have any friends from school? And then she just says, no, my mom's boyfriend homeschools me. He's a photographer, which is just loaded with pathos, tragedy. Bojack hasn't shied away from child abuse as a thing before, and that's immediately what you left to imply. There is more on this later on in the episode as well. Um, Herb sort of hears this side of the conversation through his end of the phone, and he says, what's the most important thing? He hammers this. Remind me, what is the most important thing? Family. The two of them are forced to say it together. It's a nice, cute reference to, of course, the very first line in Arrested Development now that Will Arnett stars, and that family is always the thing that is dwelled upon as theoretically the most important thing, but the one thing a dysfunctional family can never bring themselves to actually focus upon. Anyway, that takes us back into the present day um, <laughs> with a really good gag, actually. Fork in hand, that flashback that we've all lived through, and Joel says, I've got it. The password is password. <laughs> Because what else was the password going to be, Michael? I don't know if you've got this yet, but Herb Kazaz was a hack. <laughs> and it wouldn't have taken a hacker to get through that one. Anyway, before we move on to the next scene, that gets them into the computer, which leads them to a storage unit. But thoughts on Joel's flashback? 
Yeah, another interesting dive into the back into the past. This one, isn't it? And I think you know, if as you're watching the pattern continue, we're getting a little bit of a look into what was going on with each of these characters and just how not really rosy things were to begin with. Anyway, um, these are obviously very specific times. Uh, Bradley's is while the show is still going on. Joel's is obviously once Herb has been booted off the show, but the dynamic there of these two sisters who aren't sisters, who aren't even friends, really, mm. because there's, like you say, there's that noticeable age gap. Um, and it, it really harked back to um, Sarah Lynn when she was getting her hair done next to Bojack and the hair and makeup chair in season one. And he's talking about all these great things. And she's like, oh, I'd love to do that. And then he's just like, yeah, well, got to go. And he just walks off mm. and leaves her there. And that's this pattern, isn't there, of someone who's just wanted to be noticed, ironically, exactly what Bojack's been looking for his whole life, and she just can't get it at all. I think as well there's a there's a particular sadness when you see the backstage life of the horse and around cast as the show was ongoing. Because and I think this about other shows that deal with the scenes behind the scenes of television. I think of things like Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, less so mm. 30 Rock, but basically anything that's died into the process of making a television show, you can't help but feel like those experiences are lived in. You feel like what you're watching must have existed in some capacity before. And this brought me to mind of a, well, a really sad story I read about the cast of Saved by the Bell and how uh, Screech uh, was a good deal younger than Zach and AC Slater. And you see, I've character named them rather yeah. than real name than they have, and exactly what Todd did in the Horse and Around Christmas special. But any time that there would be the opportunity to go and hang out, uh, it would be Mark Paul Goslar and Mario Lopez well going, done. Out, going, out, going out together to clubs, um, obviously to live this great life that Saved by the Bell has afforded them. And Dustin Diamond yeah. being left out on the fringe because he was four or five years younger. It was as if the annoying character Screech was the annoying kid behind the scenes. And what an isolated and sad existence that must be. And it just makes you think on all these family shows, that dynamic exists over and over and over again. How much was that happening on these on these warm, fuzzy, three-camera laugh-track sitcoms that were there to unify America? And then when they were imported to the UK, unify us as a version of what middle America looks like? There's two things I want to say about this. And one is um, the vibes I always get off Sarah Lynn or the vibes I imagine that happened in real life, and I bring it up because of Arrested Development, obviously not that long ago since I actually watched the show, but the ties to this one are obviously mm. notable. Aaliyah Shawcat, I always think of, mm. and I think I've listened to a podcast with her, uh, the Talk Easy podcast that you and I both enjoy with Sam yes. Fragoso, uh, and she talks about having that weird thing of, that weird life for a kid. The kid is literally grown up, yeah. grown up on set, like that's, the life experiences they're getting aren't with other kids their age. These are with real-world people who have already been damaged by the world and are mm. passing on their damaged parts to kids who are getting them way ahead of the time when they should actually be getting them, which makes it even worse. Like, So there's like that weird knock-on effect there, which you see. But honestly, this whole thing reminds me of, uh, and this is a completely random thing, but it's an image for you to put in your head, which I'm amazed this show could pull off no problem. I remember going to a festival once, and there was this amazing ice cream truck, right? Mm-hmm. Lovely ice cream truck. It all looked wonderful. There it is. The bringer of ice cream. Amazing this, isn't it? But the sun was just going down. There was nobody at the ice cream truck. And behind the ice cream truck was the ice cream man leaning against the truck, fed up, and he was just smoking a cigarette. And it was like the weirdest, most, oh. like, do you know what I mean? And it looked, yeah. seedy. it looked seedy. It looked wrong. And I don't know what it is, but that's what this makes me think of. Like, on the front, it looks amazing. We've got this lovely show. But behind it, 
it's just an ice cream man smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, you know, it's like you say about the kids. Like it's it does it's artificial. So yeah. not only are the kids having a weird upbringing because of the experiences and the examples that are being set for them by bad adults, but the, the walls are literally fake and plastic. It's all completely artificial. It's not a real life to live. It's just the one that is paying the bills or giving the pushy stage moms uh, some credibility or giving other pushy stage moms a lead actor to have sex with or whatever the motivations are. It's often not the drive of the children, but the, the parents involved. These kids are living out scenarios on the TV shows. I know we've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but these, like... Think about Sarah Lynn in that scenario. She's probably living out real life scenarios for the first time that she's never like like in the fictional part of the show. And how do they like how does she not get mentally attached to that? Do you know what I mean? Mm. You just act on the show and then you've got to go home with no friends when you've just been sat in an audience or with an audience of people and you've got actual real friends and quote unquote family on screen. It's something that I think has come up before. Obviously, the the way that it deals, the way that Bojack Horseman the show deals with sort of themes of child abuse or child neglect are often through performance. So Bojack's mother is always telling him to get out there and do something. He's he's got to basically he has to, otherwise he's ruined her life for no good reason. Sarah Lynn is kind of pushed into this role and becomes a big star out of nowhere. Bradley Hitler Smith doesn't even seem to want it that much, but has kind of stumbled upon an opportunity through whatever means. And is now it's there for the benefit of his parents more than anything else. And I just feel as though like a bit like when you see animals that shouldn't be in cages or shouldn't be in the circus. And you think, I, ju- I just don't want that to be a thing. I don't want zoos to be a thing or I don't want yeah. the circus to use animals. It makes you think I don't want television and film to use children. Mm. It's, it, 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 when it's done so well, you watch it and you're just there thinking that's no life for them and it shouldn't be legal, it shouldn't be the law and then of course that drinks, well how do you make realistic art if you can't but it's as if there's no way to fix that is there because if the art is going to be real the children are going to be exposed but if the children are going to be exposed so and so and so and so and there's a hole in my bucket but it does this, this portrays that so well that you almost feel like you take them out of there, take every yeah. single child out of there and save yeah. them, give them an actual fighting chance. It's uh it's all, as you say, we've taken a bit of a, a sort of a left turn there. We're on our own little treasure hunt to find takes rather than herbs, <laughs> rather than herbs gold. But it's just, I don't know, this is, I suppose, like Bojack Horseman. It's a it's a commentary show, isn't it? It asks yeah. you a sort of like, it, it shows you something and asks you to think about it in a, may, in a way that maybe a lot of TV shows wouldn't want to expose to you. Because if they pull back the curtain, they've got nothing left. Whereas this, show, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, whereas this show isn't afraid to do that because it's dealing with something else entirely. It's on, a, it's on another level, so many of those shows. Um, to Herb's storage unit. <laughs> I would say on a lighter note, but that would be bullshit because they find a briefcase with some bear fur in, which Sarah Lynn tastes and says, oh, yeah, yeah I can tell. My stepdad was a bear. Oh, man. Oh, I can't get hung up on this because I know we've already, we've already talked about this a lot. Uh, but my word, that was, that was, yeah, uh, what is it, penis butter and jelly of a jelly sandwich? That hits, doesn't yeah. it? That mom's boyfriend, homeschooling photographer, mm-hmm. uh, is a bear. Um, yeah. uh, Joel reads some fan mail uh, that includes one from Henry Winkler saying how jealous he was about Herb's novel, which continues to run with a, a central plot here where, like, the gang in a kind of, this is a bit of a, a Scooby-Doo mystery that they're trying to solve on this yeah. treasure hunt 
are starting to think that Henry Winkler is the old man winter of this. That they're going to pull off the mask and he's the guy that cut the brakes there. They're not, they're laying this on very thick. They've also noted that Henry Winkler, they're not referencing that he was in Happy Days. They're not noticing that he was in Arrested Development. They're noticing that he was in one episode of Law and Order SVU, which again is kind of how those Law and Order shows are done. Everything is really on the nose. The clues are all there for you. You're not asked to think about how this crime was done. This isn't Columbo we're dealing with. So these are not, it's very much subplot stuff. Because from very early on, you kind of led to think, has Henry Winkler cut the brakes on the car? And you just kind of, there's a dramatic irony. You're aware before the gang are, and you're waiting for them to potentially find it out. Um, so, yeah, the latest thing about him being jealous about Herb's novel, which is the first we've heard that Herb was writing a novel, um, gives Sarah Lynn her flashback, which is Herb dying in Elefante with Sarah Lynn. She is oblivious while on her phone and compliments him on however it is that he's lost all this weight uh, because it's working really well for <laughs> Uh, she's relatively ignorant to his cancer and everything else around her and he just asks her to do one thing he asks her to get clean because his panic is that his novel that he's written that he's really really proud of won't get published um, he thinks that he's only going to be remembered for horsing around and he wants to be remembered for this novel too he thinks this can reshape and reframe his legacy as a writer but he needs her to be the one to do it he doesn't really need her but he's trying to use it as a motivation to get her clean which is quite nice he still sees her as this daughter-like figure and he knows how much success that she brought to him. So he's trying to maybe help her with this little modicum of responsibility, a modicum that you sense she isn't going to take seriously because she smashes her face into a rail of cocaine as he asks her to do it. Um, and then the flashback kind of ends with him toasting to life. It'll kill you in his cancer-stricken state. Sarah Lynn, in that moment, realises that the book is the gold, is the treasure that they've been trying to find all along. And the gang has suddenly clicked that it must be stolen by Henry Winkler. It must have been him. It must have been him cutting the brakes in the car or at least setting up the peanut truck that was in front of the car, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it was. Um, because he wanted to publish as his own, uh, as his own book. Uh, and that's obviously why Henry Winkler is so involved in the episode. So before they rush back to the wake, your thoughts on Sarah Lynn's flashback with her? It's tough, this one, because I kind of got into a lot of Sarah Lynn's issues previous. And this, <laughs> this is just us being... Uh, vindicated i think at this point mm. um you can it's it's it is nice though that we see herb cared enough that he wanted to try and essentially use a dying wish if you will um to kind of try and encourage sarah Lynn to get back on track because he didn't like seeing her that way um but there's some sort of overhanging irony here is that the one thing that all of these people are known for is this show and none of them want to be known for it which is mm. quite interesting well, Herb especially, it's interesting because we've never, we have obviously talked endlessly about what a hack this man was. And yes. horse, any, any clip, literally any clip of horsing around, including the one at the start of this episode that ends a joke with the words horsing around. Horsing around. Tell us that this guy is no good. He has a complex relationship with himself because when he first meets Bojack, he suggests I've been in comedy a year. So it's my job to help you find your way. Like he's, there's no sort of sense of self-awareness there, but there certainly is when he says to Bojack uh, at the observatory, let's just make loads of goddamn money out of this thing. It doesn't matter. So he's knows he's sacrificing art. He acknowledges it here with Sarah Lynn, but it's only really later on in this episode that we'll find out that he was a hack very much to his bitter end. Back at the wake, the gang have arrived in Scooby-Doo fashion in a four. They've raced back there. They're ready to figuratively, not literally, pull the face off Henry Winkler and reveal that it was him all along. Um, but no, he didn't kill Herb, but he did steal his book. He was actually acting in league with Tina the Care Bear. They wanted to destroy the book, destroy the novel, Herb's life's work. Um, 
because it was terrible. <laughs> because it was absolutely awful. <laughs> um, Bojack won't have it. He's saying, no, not, this can't possibly be the case. Not Herb, not Herb. And then proceeds to read out some utterly dreadful prose from it because, as we've discussed, Herb is a bit of a hack. <laughs> Bojack, and I should point out, I haven't got one of the pull quotes here. It's worth going back to watch this yourself. But there is something to Bojack returning to a wake where, and we will get to this, Herb was being celebrated as a raconteur, as a charitable figure through various falsehoods, as it were, but being celebrated nonetheless, as you should at a wake. And it takes Bojack arriving to reduce this man to nothing by reading his life's workout and exposing him for the man he was. Bojack hasn't even done this on purpose. He's at this funeral to fix what he believes he's broken and makes the situation substantially worse. At this point, he has no choice but to admit that he was only there to fix it and can't. He is the unlucky horseshoe in this scenario, isn't he? <laughs> Turns up and completely destroys the view and the, the vibe of a wonderful, like, morning moment for everybody here. But ironically, by, by crushing the legacy further of a man who, without, he wouldn't even exist anyway. Like, mm -hmm. his whole stardom is centred around the fact that Herb took him with him. And ironically, they were both just coursing off the back of some absolute catastrophe of a work, <laughs> Michael Hamflit. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's sweet in theory. Like, the Bojack exposing just what dross this was, like, plays to Henry Winkler and Tina the Care Bears' concerns that this was going to damage Herb's legacy. Herb's legacy that he thought was damaged enough by the show that had made him his fortune. It's such a, it's such an unhappy ending for everybody. It's not even an ending for Bojack or Henry Winkler or Tina, but it's an ending for Herb, and it's not a happy one because, well, because they can't script it. Unfortunately, what they're left with is the like the the career that they've got to look back on. It's a, it's that lament that we hear so often about death, which is like, what did you leave behind? And Herb was Herb did leave something behind, but fundamentally he was so unhappy with it that he tried to whitewash it. In his death, people tried to whitewash that. Nobody's yeah. really won there, have they? Um, 
Bojack uh, finally has his own flashback, which is kind of what you've been waiting for, having seen the other cast go through it and knowing what we know about uh, Bojack's very complex relationship with her. But it's fundamentally quite a sweet one. Um, we're back to the uh, scene from the cold open where it's after the pilot again. The uh, the characters are all really booming. The, the actors are buzzing with it. And a series of studio executives coming in and they're absolutely thrilled. There is one studio executive again around the children, as you point out, where children just shouldn't be. It's only asking, where's a Coke? We got any Coke? We got to get some Coke. Yeah. But they're all talking about going in limos, going to big parties because the studio says it's going to be a massive success. Um, it's going to get a multi-season run. Herb Kazaz is going to make all that money that he suggested that Bojack was going to. Sarah Lynn admits that she's scared, doesn't really want to be part of this, but Joelle says they'll stick together, puts an arm around her supporter. We know how that would fall apart. Um, but Bojack and Herb want to go and smell the roses. And in this case, those roses are completely fake because they want to go look at the water tower where the love boat was filmed. And upon finding it, jump into the pool to find that it's just but a few feet deep because everything in Hollywood is fake. This does give us a wonderful joke with which to end the episode on. Uh, Herb tells Bojack to look out into this vista and says the future is bright. Just look at it. And the camera pulls away to show them looking at a giant painted set of the sky because everything is fake. And end scene. And the oh, just the wonderful, like visual and physical thing of them trying to try to jump into this water, which we've all worried about, you know, Bojack has numerous times already in the previous season referenced water. And mm. they both jump go to jump in and but they hit this thing, don't they? Because it's so shallow. And the literal thing here is Hollywood is this shallow mess of a thing that's not mm -hmm. real. It's fake. Yeah. Everything about it is not what you think it is. And even in this, arguably, out of all of the flashbacks, Bojax is probably the nicest uh, mm. by quite some way, actually. Yeah. Um, but even then, there's this quick reminder of, yeah, but don't forget, like, Hollywood shallow and it's not here. <laughs> like, <laughs> What you think you can see, it doesn't really exist. It's a sort of, I think it's quite a cute callback to when Bojack finally wins the Golden Globe at the end of season one, and he's holding on to it, looking for it to mean something, and he jumps in that water, and obviously, as you say, it's literal connotations, but the message is so much bigger. I thought it would be deeper than this. And that yeah. speaks more to Bojack's feeling he's he's got to what, where he thought he was going to get to, and he thought it would be deeper. He thought it would be more. And that's kind of, again, the theme from the whole gang, who's obviously... They're processing the funeral, aren't they? So there, mm. and there's people always do this in death. They try to find more meaning than there actually is, and ultimately, that's exactly what this is. It's one of those episodes that is a wild goose chase. <coughs> Sorry, a wild gold chase in this case. For <laughs> literally the the purposes of them all have their flashbacks and realise that actually they're all just trying to process the fact that Herb has actually died. Mm. Well, speaking of those processing that Herb has actually died, we go to Princess Carolyn and Todd in there. In their separate stories in this episode, as we said at the start, they were there interacting with Bojack and you wonder why they would be at the funeral. That is because they were making up really, really good B and C plots in this episode. Uh, Princess Carolyn is there, as we said, to schmooze and try and secure a deal with Henry Winkler. But she's interrupted in the middle of a lie that she otherwise would have got away with by Mr. Peanut Butter, who brilliantly 
admits that he's there to schmooze, just outwardly says it. He says, oh, I didn't know the guy, I'm just here to schmooze. Which is fantastic, because Henry Winkler doesn't lose any respect for Mr. Peter Butler's honesty, but Princess Carolyn realises, oh, if I'd have not told this lie, I probably could have just got away with this. She pointed out Henry Winkler's come over to speak to Princess Carolyn because he tried to escape somebody trying to win his business. He doesn't think that's on. So Princess Carolyn has completely gone down the wrong track. Uh, but Peanut Butter loves the story so much that he insists that she tell it again and bigger and broader and in front of the most people. He gathers everybody around. Um, and then through a series of cuts back to the funeral, we realise that she's actually getting away with it. She's managed to tell the story. This reminded me of uh, in Friends when Ross and Rachel are at a family gathering and Ross has asked Rachel to pretend that they're married. So she just tells a far more elaborate story as for, with every guest, more gets added to it. There were doves flying through the sky that put the ring on the finger and so and so and so and so. And that's exactly what Princess Caroline is doing. She's holding court and um, she's faking it until she makes it and she gets away with one and it's so powerful and draws the applause of the audience that Mr. Peanut Butter asks for another one. <laughs> but again, she smashes it. She absolutely smashes it so in the episode where Bojack Horseman has gone to fix what he felt was broken with Mr. Peanut Butter, uh, sorry, with uh, with Herb Kazaz, Princess Karen is left with his ashes. Incredibly, this is the, the layers of this plot in itself, because we've, we're dealing with a situation where we're discovering that Herb Kazaz, the further down the rabbit hole we get, was actually more of a hack than even we thought he was, and we'd already <laughs> sussed it. Now, ironically, a woman who isn't even supposed to be at his funeral, who never actually knew him, is a better storyteller <laughs> on the on the fly than Herb Kazaz is with time at his hands and death on his doorstep. <laughs> she actually comes up with, at this point, by the end of it, it must be about three different stories she yeah. tells and has everybody applaud and clapping <laughs> on their feet, like mesmerised by what she said. It's uh, the only person not in the room for all of this. And it is just, it's played for one great gag, this. But is uh, is Todd, who is kind of looking for something to do after he's taken the food. And Bojack just gives him $10 to go and buy five cans of squirt for the gang as they go on their treasure hunt. Uh, he's going to the can machine, which is at the, uh, like, sort of at the back of a studio lot. And uh, the wind blows away his $10. And poor old Todd, oh, why would this happen to me? But then it gets worse. A mouse picks up the $10. Not just any old mouse that would squeak away with it, of course, an anthropomorphized mouse picks the $10 up, is about to put it in their pocket. But then a bird flies off with the mouse into the sky and then a, fl a plane flies into the bird, killing presumably all of them instantly and with it, Todd's $10. Uh, around the same studio lot, Todd is moping around. He meets a janitor who has found the machine that changed Stephen Urkel into Stefan Urkel. Another, obviously, a big sitcom callback, particularly for our American audience. But if it was a huge episode, um, if you've got sort of any familiarity with that show, the, uh, the Stefan Urkel character was a huge change from that, uh, did I do that? Dorky character that is, of course, kind of almost like paid homage to with Sarah Lynn's. That's too much, man. Uh, it's just a prop, but Todd believes it to be 100% real. It mirrors, for anybody that hasn't seen this, it mirrors kind of what Jeff Goldblum designed in The Fly. Yes. As well. yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's that sort of like walk-in wardrobe type thing, but with, with for the want of a better phrase, spish down the side. Yeah. <laughs> so Todd, Todd walks in uh, and comes back out with his hat pulled up, his sleeves rolled up as Toad Chavez. Oh. The janitor... 
The janitor, much like Bojack, no-sells this as an impossibility, but at this point, Toad is on his travels as this cool hand Luke alternate version, Stefan Urkel version of himself. Uh, he goes to the uh, the can machine and he smashes the can machine. The five cans come out. He starts drinking one. And then, which is a really lovely moment, that's when you realise what they've done is they've created the Fonz in an episode with the actual Fonz who they refuse to reference because Bojack Horseman's better than all of us. And this is the C plot of this episode. Uh, he goes to a biker bar. He kisses one of the biker's girlfriends. He steals one of the bikes to which one of the bikers responds, I should be mad, but that guy's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> no ramifications of these, these petty cool guy acts. They're all straight out of the cliched cool guy act. Uh, Todd finally arrives back at the funeral at the very end of the episode while Bojack's having a quiet moment after, obviously, everything's broken down with, with Herb's novel and whatnot. He gives this kind of squirt to Bojack. Bojack just makes an offhand comment about why he's got his sleeves rolled up. And in that moment, again, in that, inter in that one interaction with Bojack, because Bojack is the centre point of everything that makes the world worse, Todd reverts to Todd. All that was Todd in these couple of scenes has gone. He rolls the sleeves back down. He puts his hat back. He says, oh, I was just trying something. He tries to ride a bike and he falls off it and crashes. <laughs> this Jay from the Inbetweeners type pratfall off this bike. Every single aspect of Todd Chavez falls apart the second he returns to Bojack's lap. It is, oh, it'd be sad if it wasn't so funny. I just would like to point out that if anybody is interested in doing a spin-off show called Toad Chavez. <laughs> on the I'll, Toad. On the Toad, I would watch that show. No problem. This guy is the epitome of cool, Michael. <laughs> and as you say... The thing we need to tell, if, if people who are listening to this podcast haven't figured it out yet, Bojack Horseman is better than the thing you like. Whatever it is, <laughs> Bojack Horseman's better because in its C plot, its throwaway plot, it's done something better than half the shows are doing on television anyway. Mm, it's it's truly remarkable. Like, it's, it's good, this one, because obviously normally we'll stop and we'll do the Bojack stuff, then we'll do the character profile stuff. But there wasn't technically a need yeah. Uh, very literally, it's laid out in the first scene. Princess Carolyn and Todd shouldn't be there. They're there because this is a television show, and this television show gifts us a B and a C plot that are just truly remarkable. In in scenes where characters shouldn't be, the only one that like should justifiably be there is Mr. Peanut Butter because he tells the truth of his completely sterile Hollywood. Like you notice that Diane isn't with him. She yeah. would probably morally object to going to a funeral for that reason. Not Peanut Butter. He's in the business. Oh. He kn he knows the trade. This he knows was. The game. A I feel like we say this every week, but this was a powerhouse of an episode. It really was. Oh, great episode. Really good episode. But not just was there lovely stuff to dive into narratively, Michael. There's some lovely things in a lovely segment we call Horses Around, where we go back and we look at all of the things from the episode, the hidden meanings behind things, the small details you might have missed, the Easter eggs, and everything of that nature. So let's go back to the very beginning, shall we? First mm. one you may or may not have noticed, Michael is that, as always, the opening credits had a little treat for you because, ah. of course, we had the new edition, as we find anybody who may have forgotten or just had amnesia randomly, or maybe was in a coma for 30 years, <laughs> might have noticed that the opening credits change as the seasons go on. Never, ever skip the opening credits of BoJack Horseman because if you do, you're insane. But inside there, you'll notice that Wanda, who, if you remember rightly, agreed to move in with BoJack in the previous episode, mm -hmm is now in the house in the opening credits. And that was a nice little touch from them there. Um, then we go to Herb's funeral. That's where we first start this off. And 
fascinatingly, <laughs> there's a great gag that we continue throughout this whole episode. As you mentioned, Henry Winkler, who is, of course, the Fonz, like mm-hmm. from Happy Days, we all know that, refuses, <laughs> to, refuses throughout the whole episode to acknowledge that, but will only specify that one thing everybody knows him from is Law and Order Special Victims Unit. What a great... <laughs> What a great gag this is because it just speaks so heavily to this show. It's so confident that it doesn't even need to use the fact that he's the Fonz to make Henry Winkler relevant in a show <laughs> that is then going to go on and do a mystery plot in a similar nature. Incredible stuff. Really, really worthwhile. Um, the, the memorial bench for Herb that they reveal, the logo on the bench is actually the logo of Herb's production company, All mm. That Kazaz, and that is on the bench as you'll see it. Um, we get a moment where Bojack is talking with Charlotte, where they obviously meet up. She's having a cigarette, and she weirdly gives him a business card, although it's not really a business card. It's just a, a card for to give to friends, I guess. <laughs> and on the business card, it's got her name and address, but most importantly, it says, Charlotte Moore, your dear friend, because, of course, Michael, she is a dear, and it's spelled nice. like dear on a card. Uh, back inside or back at Herb's house for the um, the morn after the funeral. When you first establish a shot, we get there. We see two vultures outside just circling around <laughs> the good. house. But they're both good. in they're both in suits at the funeral because they're just guests. <laughs> we don't see them ever again. They're just flying around outside, which is brilliant. Um, there is a as we get in another commentary about people and society, I guess, and phones. Um, the Gecko, or the chameleon that we see, who's dressed up in a suit, is just taking a selfie with Herb's funeral wreath. <laughs> um, because obviously that's a thing. And if you remember, at this time, maybe slightly earlier than this, was when that craze was going around and people were taking selfies of themselves at funerals. I remember this distinctly. Yeah. This was a thing. And people were getting lambasted for it, and rightly so. A um, couple of the guests who you might want to delve into who were at the funeral. Of course, we got the wonderful... No, normally, Michael, it would be Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal, but in this situation, it's <laughs> Jake and Maggot Gyllenhaal. And as you can imagine, Maggie Gyllenhaal is a maggot, which was incredibly on the nose. Um, and then also, Princess Carolyn, when she's talking about the people who are there, mentions the Pakistani girl who keeps winning all those Nobel Prizes. Uh, now, for anybody who knows their stuff, I had to go on Google this, I'll be honest, but uh, this is in reference to... And I apologise for butchering your name, yeah. But uh, Malala Yousafzai, yes. who is, as Wikipedia will tell you, um, a Pakistani Pashtun activist for female education and the youngest Nobel Prize laureate. So there you go. She go survived. and do some more. She survived. I think it was. I want to say it was getting shot in the face, maybe, um, and became a peace advocate off the back of that. She was. Uh, her and two other girls were shot by a Taliban gunman in an yes. assassination, an assassination attempt, which was in retaliation, actually for her activism. So there you go. A little bit more of an insight here, just to add some more sadness to this episode. Um, we go to Herb's bedroom, where the gang are all in there looking for things inside his room. And you will notice as uh, Joel pulls out a record from the box, it's a record that should be for Herman's Hermits, but it's for Herman's Hermit Crabs. All of, the, <laughs> all of the members of the band from Herman's Hermits are, of course, Hermit Crabs. Makes sense. I bet that one took a while to come up with. Um, <laughs> It was a wonderful gag in reference to uh, Mary Poppins because, of course, Joel has developed this British accent <laughs> now. Uh, and Lynn says, oh, yeah, well, why don't you shove it up your ass with a spoonful of sugar, you supercalifragilistic expiala bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was wonderful. Really, really good stuff. 
and that actually might even top the C-bomb that Joel throws out at her just after that. Um, <laughs> also, I just found it hilarious. Herb Kazaza's blind executor, who even mentions that he isn't even a lawyer, he's just a guy Herb thought was trustworthy because of his voice, is a bat and he's blind. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous, but it's very funny indeed if you're watching it. It just I didn't even give that enough credit in the plot, but he does, as you say, he does admit that he was blind and he wasn't the executive, but Herb, I just like the way I dressed. <laughs> Maybe he found I was had a trusting voice in the way that I dressed. <laughs> um, we go to Ethan's flashback when he's talking to Herb. And, of course, as you mentioned, there's the great nod towards all of the old computers of the past where you can play solitaire if you have 12 discs to install <laughs> it. Um, and... The other notable thing that we find out, sort of from the flashback, sort of from Bojack talking to the guys, or read the flashback, uh, is the tap dancer who is referenced above them is Savian Glover, who is uh, an American tap dancer, actor, and choreographer who would have been a thing in the 90s. So there you go, a little bit of additional information there. And obviously this kind of complements nicely the uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat-esque images that we get on the wall we've already yeah. got them in a previous episode but all very nice nice and 90s themed in there um back at herb's house uh just a little note about the memorial board that they've got it's got a lot of pictures of herb on uh, a couple of notable ones here you've got herb feeding the homeless in this comical chef's costume that he's got on and uh, there's herb running over the finish line where he's presumably done a run for charity or something <laughs> he's such a great guy uh, herb protesting for peace He's got the signs, he's got doing all sorts. A picture of Herb at the Taj Mahal. Uh, <laughs> a picture of Herb on the beach with his top off with a builder's tan. <laughs> and then just a nice picture of him on the set directing in his Kazaz director's chair, where he's undoubtedly being a hack again. Um, we go to Paramount Studios, where they go to Herb's office. And outside, you will notice in the establishing shot, we see a, a truck going into the studio. And there's a truck that says... Famished, famished hippos catering truck. <laughs> <laughs> you complete opposite to your favourite hungry, hungry hippos, but nevertheless, sorting out the world's problems in the <laughs> hunger department. Um, in Herb's office, we see that Sarah Lynn is trying out, um, it's one of those old view masters where you put them mm. on your eyes and you flick through. And as she puts it on her eyes, she's obviously gets distracted a bit and she pulls it away and she's got these two massive glasses marks like on her eyeballs <laughs> from the dust and I just thought that was great. How many times people have tried to pull that gag where they <laughs> colour it in pen and you put it yeah. on your eyes and you end up with the glasses. Um, a very 90s joke, that one, actually. Uh, in the flashback of Olivia's, of uh, Joelle's, that she's talking to Herb, in the magazine clippings, there's a, there's a few notable things here from his quote-unquote crap book that he's written <laughs> with the S has been scribbled out, which looks like he's keeping a hate diary, essentially, of all mm -hmm. the people from the from the show. Just have a little, I'll read this out for you because that's quite a bit, yeah. It's, he's cutting out a clipping from a magazine that says, Horsing Around, Bad Show, Now Worse, right? <laughs> by, by, by writer Brian Botfly. <laughs> I just found it entertaining. Um, it says, you can't really see a little bit of it because his thumb is covering it, but it says, I, I hate to be a naysayer, but this family sitcom is so saddled with lame horse-themed puns, it might have to be put out to pasture. Ratings remain stable, despite the unbridled mediocrity of the acting and, hack and hackneyed half-arsed writing. The syrupy plots should be sent straight to the glue factory. <laughs> if, if wishes were horses, beggars would beg. 
To watch a different show, frankly, the po- the pony gags tend to yield the diminishing returns. And the main attraction of this rodeo is the talented young actress Sarah Lynn, whose performance whose performance might truly shine if she were given better material. Skip this season and change the channel to a horse of a different colour. <laughs> and then in massive exclamation marks at the end, this show has too many horse puns. <laughs> um, this was one. We haven't quite figured this one out either, actually. We heard mentions on the phone. He says, what are they doing with my baby? Are they putting my baby into a car, then driving the car into a lake? Now, we tried mm. to do a quick bit of research on this and couldn't quite spot the reference. And I've got to sh- I'm, I'm going to feel stupid when someone mentions it. He shouts that it's topical. He shouts that it's topical down the phone. Yeah. And we're in the 90s, so it must be something around there. If you know the answer to this, please do let us know at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we are good, but we're not that good. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but there is another wonderful thing. Last little bit in this is there's a newspaper that Sarah Lynn is hiding behind as she's listening to the phone call that Joel's having. And the newspaper's just called Sports. And uh, the, the headline that Sarah Lynn is, is hiding behind says... The Lakers sign Shaquille O'Seal. Oh. <laughs> the basketball player, who is, of course, a seal. Um, back in Herb's house, there's a wonderful establishing shot from a different angle. We see it from the uh, from the water by Herb's house. We're looking up, and there's a man on a surfboard, like belly down, just paddling out into the middle of the water. Next to him, another surfer is paddling next to him and it's a shark person <laughs> on a on a surfboard who like looks at the guy and gives him the hang loose symbol with his hand and the guy quite panically looks at him and swims away much <laughs> to that shark's sadness because of course Michael he's a shark and he's probably should be a bit worried about that. <laughs> um back at Paramount Studios uh, where we see uh, Todd is on another bit of his caper. He walks towards the junk pile where we're gonna see him step into the machine and do his wonderful transformation and on the floor in amongst all of the other rubbish, is a little replica of Baby Sinclair from the sitcom Dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. The little baby from Dinosaurs with the mm. yellow T-shirt. You'll know it if you ever watch the show. It's just sat there discarded in a pile. <laughs> uh, so you can read into that whatever you want. Um, at the storage facility that they go to, Herb storage facility, um, there's a little gag that just says, chipmunk cheek storage and there's a chipmunk who's opening up his to find that a pile of acorns have just fallen out of the storage <laughs> because obviously it's been a, a difficult winter i assume um inside of herb storage unit though there's a few little treasure troves for you one of them is there's a pile of posters that have been framed that you can't really see but if you look very carefully sarah lane is by them and she's looking at what are a bunch of horsing around christmas special posters mm. you can just see the outline of a christmas tree and the bit which uh you actually saw the Netflix poster in real life as an actual poster you could get. What did they um, say in the Christmas episode? Was there eight of them? There was eight Christmas specials, isn't there? There's the nine, technically nine. nine. The nine. Eight more after yeah. the one we get. Yes, that's um, right, yeah. So, but yes, inside there, there's also an award up on a shelf for best voice. That's all you can see, um, which all made me wonder, is it, was it earned or was it one of these that Mr. Peanut Butter bought and then <laughs> kind of kept as a little thing? I found it funny that Sarah Lynn was um, like very taken by the Flylon spray paint can that she enjoyed just yeah. sniffing. Um, <laughs> but also, there's a, a really niche little thing in the far corner is a purple bowling ball that just says, well, it took me ages to get this because I had to squint because it was so small, but it's just got the name The Kazaz on. And the thing that I presume this is in reference to is, of course, the Big Lebowski and the Jesus with his purple yeah, bowling ball yeah. and the all purple outfit. Um, on another one of his capers, Todd, 
is when he's finally turned into Toad Chavi. He walks <laughs> through and we get a few visual gags here. The bar that all the um the bulls are outside and the biker gang is called Watering Hole, and on there is a picture of an alligator drinking a beer on a neon sign that goes on and off. The biker gang's name on the back of their leather jackets, they are the highway masticators, Michael. <laughs> because they're bulls, of the course bulls. they are. The bulls, and that's all they do. But then even better than that, if you look down the row next to the bar, there's a bunch of other shops. Right next to the bar is a childcare centre. <laughs> and then the other two stores that are next to it, one is just called Guns, <laughs> and the other one is called Skinheads Anonymous. <laughs> So it seems like a great place for a childcare centre. To... Hey, Mark, if, it's, if it's open, I consider using it right now. Exactly. I'm sure there'll be quite a few people who will be shipping them off in the day <laughs> right now. Uh, a couple of last little ones here. Back at Herb's house when the whole caper is being unveiled in the Scooby-Doo-esque manner. Uh, as, as they think that Herb, while he's going to actually pull out the script for Herb's... Uh, sorry, Henry Winkler is about to pull out the script for Herb's book. They think he's going to get a gun. It's like, oh, he's got a gun. And as you see in the background, the guests are all panicked. The gecko, or the chameleon, blends into the wall in the fear because oh, his nice. warrior is going to get shot so it turns That's into good. the same colour as the, the background that he's on. I think he's like got a bookcase or where Herb keeps all his uh, pictures and stuff. Uh, and then Herb's book is the last little bit that I've got really uh, and obviously Bojack reads a few lines from it but one bit that he doesn't read that you can kind of see just on the page. You can kind of make the words out. It says, compassion, comma, forsooth, comma, fleeting moments lost, comma, like wilted cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> which kind of sums up Herb's whole career for me in a nutshell, which is ironic because that's what probably killed him. <laughs> that killed him. <laughs> Those are all of the things that I had for this week's Horsin' Around. Apart from other than that was, I just really enjoyed the stunning sunset that Bojack was looking at at the end of the episode. This show continues to do some wonderful stuff with that. Um, the visual... The visual aid that they can provide you through the show and its animation. Uh, but with that said, those are all of the things for Horsing Around, which leads us nicely, Michael, because if you've had a little bit of time to sit and think there, I've been rambling on long enough now, but you might just have one last thing, and then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. This podcast that is now 14 hours long, instead of just being <laughs> the usual 50 that we got with season one. But hey, it's a great show. It deserves to be looked at in the correct way. Would you like to go first? I would, because you gave me the perfect segue. And let's pull the curtain back on our own horse and rounder podcast horseman, because we don't necessarily prep these ahead of time. And I couldn't be happier with how you rounded off your discussion there, because my one last thing was how Bojack, in moments of panic, of stress, of mourning in this case, just stops and looks. And it's something he never does in real life. And it's it's been a theme in the show so far. It's There's some visual mirroring. So the really nice scene before too, Chevy, like greeting with a drink, just finds Bojack sat quietly on the bench at the edge of that cliff, looking out onto the sea. Reminded me very much of him sat with Sarah Lynn on the bench after their nice day out together. And um, when he's trying to kind of get serious and earnest with her, um, just to try and find the human being that he wants new within her. Um, reminded me of when he awkwardly left the car after trying to kiss Diane and her wanting nothing to do with it. And again, that's just that gorgeous shot of him staring out at the, it's a lake rather than the sea, but it's just the general, the general idea that he wants to look at nothing in particular, other than the real world. 
we always sort of go back to Hollywood being a tarpit about Hollywood being fake. In this episode, we've dealt with the literal fake things. Herb, at the end of the episode, tells him to look out onto the sky and what he's looking at. He's looking at a big painted cardboard wall. Um, and I just really like that the continued use of this because we know through the interactions that he's had with his mother, we know through pretty much every episode and every like adventure that he gets up into in, the, in these episodes now, that Bojack is a guy that is trying to escape from himself virtually every episode and can't. So it makes total sense that in those moments of peace and tranquility, he will just do it by staring off into absolutely nothing but the beauty of the real world. And kind of gets centred by it again, doesn't he? And yeah. Right now that you mention this, I know we, we we kind of talk about a lot of the what the stunning, it's not cinematography, but the stunning visuals they give you mm. in this show. And I think to add to what you've already mentioned, I'm thinking of Bojack at the start of this season where he's looking out his window at the sunset, at the sunrise, sorry, yes. in the morning, him trying to get sent out at the beginning of the day when he is sitting on the rooftop with Diane at the very end of the season previous, I think it is. Yeah, end so, of season one. Yeah, end of season one. And he's they're sitting on the roof together and looking out and stuff. That's another beautiful shot. And it's a really interesting thing that and I there's something about him just trying to get his trying to get his roots again, isn't he? Trying to mm. almost like taking the blinkers off. We talk about him having them on for so long. <laughs> it's like he's took them off to just stare out at the world for a little bit. I, I don't know the technical term in animation as well, but however it is that they make it look so big and him look so small is mm. very powerful as well because they haven't got obviously they've got to use it with illustration and animation rather than being able to use a real life set or something so like literally massive that you can have a camera pull away and make a human being look so small the way they capture that the exact same way with an animated sprite of a horse versus what he's looking out upon it's really visually beautiful it is wonderful and the sort of composition of all those shots are what make his isolation at these times feel so so much bigger like Mm -hmm. they could do it in many ways but that's the best way to kind of capture i think to do such a good job with it um but one thing that i grabbed from this it's a little throwaway line from todd but actually probably ties in nicely to what you've mentioned there bojack continually feeling lost and feeling a bit like he doesn't belong or that he's a bit of a failure or whatever washed up he's a has-been isn't he he certainly has been before all this before Mm. the book that was where we found him and as todd comes to visit them all uh randomly when they're back at paramount studios or paramount studios um looking at herb's computer he comes into the room and all of the cast from horsing around are there and they're, filled, they're sitting in a room full of stuff from the 90s. Like, um, I think there's like a Rubik's Cube that gets pulled out of a bag. There's the old voice mail machine with tape. Yeah. There's Sarah Lynn looking through the Viewmaster. All these niche things that are from the time. And Todd wanders into the room and says, look at all these old 20th century relics. And <laughs> as he says the line, everyone stops. And there's this wonderful moment because he's not obviously talking about the things. He's talking about the people who are in the show. Who, yeah. And it sums this whole thing up amazingly because the whole point really is that they go on this little journey because they're all lost. Like Herb's the one who might have died, but these guys are the most lost out of all of them. They're all mm. trying to find some sort of route. They're trying to make something. They're making a mount, mountain out of this molehill when it's like, it's, it couldn't be more simple, but we get this mad mystery caper because yeah. they all just want one last excuse to not be alone, to be by themselves. Yeah which is, none of them want to admit it, but that's what's happening. Mm. And I don't know, there's something, I just thought such clever writing that. Todd, who is just the stupid guy, wanders in and hits them with this profound line. (laughs) And he's actually also talking about a bunch of random things from the 90s in there. And that, Michael, again, is why Bojack Horseman is better than the thing you like. Whatever it is, Bojack Horseman is better. 
It is. It really is. It's been magic. Um, and I just, I think as well, like it, it's you kind of just to like round that point off about those, like you say about the the relics or about Todd's take on them. It's not that it's not that they don't want to be more than ultimately what they've become. You can tell there's still that like they're all a little bit they're over egging their parts when they first meet up as as individuals, but by the end they don't really feel the need to do that because this has actually given them a sense of purpose for the first time in X number of years. In Bojack's case, we know 30. We're literally told that from the very beginning of the show. And it's funny how the I don't want to say the simplest of things, you're chasing a dead man's goal, but something that in the in context here is relatively simple has just been able to give them a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning that they've clearly not really found since horsing around wrapped. They've just, all they want, Michael, is someone to just come along, a horse to pop his head out and say, live with me. <laughs> and instead he said, come on this journey with me one last time. They've gone for a hurrah. And it's, it's quite, it's lovely. It's also really sad, but it's lovely that they try to do it anyway. And that Todd can wander in the most wise man in the room without being wise. And, uh, and and completely summarise the whole situation. <laughs> but now that we've rambled on long enough, let's quickly do our plugs and, mm. and hit you with the, the, the closers of this podcast. So as always, if you've enjoyed this, come and follow us on uh, social media. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Please do, if there's anything we've missed, let us know. Give us a shout. We're happy to talk about the show and we're always looking for more info about it. Also, you can follow either of your hosts on Twitter while you're there. If you fancy it, you can follow me at Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can uh, listen along with the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Podbean, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Through the Acast app, you can listen on our Twitter feed at Podcast Horseman. Every Friday, a new episode will go there and you can listen direct linked into the tweet. Um, we'd love you to leave us a review on any of those podcast platforms if you can, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you want to subscribe, that'd be great. It just helps us appear in searches. It helps us appear for people to find us if they're looking indeed for a Bojack Horseman podcast. And why would you not be? This show is brilliant. And just so we can all talk to ourselves about a talking horse, which is exactly what the only Bezo did. I don't know if it really is the only Bezo. Could it be Jeff Bezos? The Bezo? only? And could it be? I don't want Jeff Bezos to be the only one, actually. I want it to be this guy right here, the yeah. only Bezo. Because the only Bezo has left us a five-star review. Just as a reminder, if you want to be inducted into the Hollywood Talk of Fame, leave us a five-star review with five stars. I think it's through Apple Podcasts, but I think you can do it through Spotify as well. Um, with any words, nice or nasty. So far, they've all been nice. The more I keep saying this, the more I think I'm going to like a nasty one. But you will still get read out. You will still get your star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Um, and this one comes from the only Bezo. He says, a perfect companion to the sad horse show. It's a nice change to hear Michael and Adam discussing something that is well-written and has engaging characters. I feel like he knows what he might be referencing in our other line of work there. Great insights, and I eagerly look forward to every subsequent episode. Thank you very much for that, Leonie Bezo, and I'm glad it sounds like you're re-watching the show along with us, which is fantastic. We love that as well. It's part of the community building. Uh, the start on Hollywood Talk of Fame will be winging its way to you through all the usual social media channels. Let's round this off at the end here and go and give you a little... A little update about next week's episode. Just before we get there, heading over to Netflix for the synopsis for episode four of season two. And this one, Michael, is going to be called The After Party. Or After the Party, sorry. Mm. Got, got, a bit, got a bit ahead of myself there. Uh, Princess Carolyn, Bojack, Diane, and Mr. Peanut Butter learn some important lessons about love in the wake of a surprise birthday party. So we've had the funeral episode, and now it mm. seems we're getting the happy birthday episode. A different, a different change of pace, Michael, perhaps? 
It's a horse event of a different colour. There say. he is. I was trying to tee you up, and I'm glad you <laughs> What's going to happen? Well, you'll have to wait next week to find out. Uh, with that said, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.